Welcome to the Lean Startup Company podcast series. I'm Heather McGough, co-founder of Lean Startup Company, where we share lean startup and modern management techniques to a growing community of entrepreneurs and corporate innovators. We produce webcasts, podcasts, original content, the annual Lean Startup Conference, and offer live and virtual lean startup trainings in the enterprise. Whether you're building a high-growth tech startup, a mobile app, a piece of hardware, working in a nonprofit or large bureaucratic organization, adopting lean startup methodology can help support continuous innovation and sustainable growth. Today's guest is Oseas Ramirez. Last year I was introduced to him by Eric Rees, author of The Lean Startup. When Oseas and I sat down for lunch during the conference last year, I got the lowdown on his work at Cisco. Cisco is a multinational tech company and worldwide leader in IT that designs, manufactures, and sells networking equipment. They have over 70,000 employees and over 70,000 contractors in dozens of countries. So you can imagine how excited I was to be talking to an entrepreneur within this large company about an initiative he's spearheading called the Leadership Pipeline. Hi, Oseas. Welcome to the show. Hi, Heather. Thank you for an invitation. It's great to be here with you. So before we get to the leadership pipeline, I recently read an article titled, Retiring Cisco CEO Delivers Dire Predictions. 40% of companies will be dead in 10 years. In reading it, I learned that Cisco has already begun to work on one of the biggest challenges corporate innovators face, that is the creation of a culture of experimentation. Can you tell me uh, about Cisco's experience down this road? Well, absolutely. Well, obviously... uh Cisco has always been a very innovative company to the point that if you see its track record from the very beginning where they started with the first routing equipment and essentially they were a prime player, a very important player in, in building what today is the internet and then other waves that came on going uh, after this, for example, the introduction of audio and video on the network and, and, and to things that we're doing today uh, playing in a lot of different spaces, not only the networking piece itself, but also, you know, the, the data centers, the security space, collaboration technologies, etc. Cisco has always needed to innovate its way to remain, to remain relevant and keep on growing. Now, the, Cisco's innovation model has always been a combination of building, buying, and partnering to make things happen. Now, with that said, uh, success is always a blessing and a curse in that it's what you want, it's what allows you to get bigger, but then as you get bigger, some of the things that you were able to do easily when you're smaller and more nimble start getting a little bit more difficult. And one of those things, for example, is uh, maintaining a culture of innovation throughout the company because then you start having the necessary separations. You can have different businesses or you can have different functions. And those separations are needed to be operationally efficient but at the same time, then they start capturing innovation efforts in different pockets or different parts of the company. Uh, sometimes the pressures to make the quarterly numbers make us be a little bit more short-sighted uh, instead of having a long-term vision of where to go. And maintaining that balance between quarter over quarter growth while not sacrificing long-term innovation as a result of it, it it's not an easy thing to balance. Now, our executives are, are doing a great job at it. And one of the things that we can see are taking place is that we have different groups that are taking a variety of different innovation efforts in different parts of the company. 
So one of the beautiful things about Cisco is there's, um, there is enough freedom for people to present ideas. And if you're persistent and if you're, uh, I guess, competent enough, you can make a lot of things happen based on your initiative. We, we might not get as much credit as the Googles of the world get in terms of, you know, people who have 20% of their time to do projects and all that stuff, uh, which is probably one of the most famous taglines about the Valley. And, and there's articles that say that's the case. Some say that's slightly different. But ultimately, it's just one example on how to create a culture of innovation. The thing, the thing at Cisco is if you want to take it on, uh, you will most of the time get support from your manager to pursue it. And then if you get enough people on, you can make things happen. So with this said, we have hackathons going on in different parts of the company. We have innovation challenges in which people are, you know, requesting to submit ideas and, and then they get, might get built. Uh, one of our innovation centers, the Services Innovation Excellence Center, recently started a platform that works kind of like a Kickstarter. Uh, a Kickstarter which allows you to crowdfund ideas. But they did it in such a clever way because this is with internal funds. So people that somehow know that in the budget with which they're allowed to make investment decisions, they could somehow contribute to a project that makes sense, they're enabling that. Um, there's also a, tech, uh, a central fund that allows for investments to be made on process and on, on, uh, on projects that are most senior, most talented engineers in the company have deemed to be worthy of being pursued. And, and this is all of this activity is on top of very healthy, I would say, actually probably one of the best areas in the industry in terms of looking for company acquisitions. And on top of that, this is also done on top of the daily job of our thousands of engineers and people in service in other parts of the company that are consistently looking for ways to do to improve how we do things. So so there's many different flavors, sizes, initiatives, and overall work that has been done in the space of innovation uh, for a company such as Cisco Systems. So we're going to talk a little bit more about how to create that culture of experimentation later, but I'd love for our listeners to learn about your professional background and what led you to implementing this leadership pipeline at Cisco. Mm, all right. So first, let, let me just a point of clarification that could very well help and, and will make justice to, to the work we do. The leadership pipeline program is an internal Cisco program in which we're targeting uh, the top talent in the company across all functions and across regions and working on their development to accelerate the movement from their current position of being already very talented to being good and groomed to be our future company executives. This is an initiative that is enterprise-wide, but is executed through our HR function. And as part of it, it belongs to a function that has a team called the talent management team. And within it, there's an entire team of people who are involved in the leadership pipeline. I am part of that team and uh, I'm specifically responsible to a, for a segment of our population called uh, senior managers. That's, that's the title that they have. It is in the context of uh, this work that I, now I can talk about a little bit more about the background and how I got here and uh, how this has been connected to the space of innovation a little bit. So, okay. sorry, I, I just need to make that point of clarification because otherwise I, I, would, I would be taking credit where, where it's not due. Um, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> With that said, professional background. So I essentially started work when I was 18 as a CIO for a newspaper, uh, one of the most important newspapers here in Guadalajara in, in the country of Mexico. Uh, then after that, I started working as a CTO for an internet service provider. And as a CTO, I had the opportunity to build some interesting products, a lot of the stuff that had to do with uh, networking and open source software 
and we build interesting appliances around that. But then I decided that technology was not for me at the time being, so I finally got into college because I had skipped it because I was working, and I got my title as a family counselor. So I'm a licensed family counselor, and I do a lot of public speaking on topics of human development um, for schools, corporations, government, nonprofits, you name it. And that also led me to teaching. I used to teach social psychology and uh, a couple more things. And it was while I was teaching that I realized that I could use technology to improve the quality of the learning of my students. I started experimenting with technology with something simple as forms. Then I went back and built my Linux box and started connecting people with an online uh, learning management system, living assignments. And I saw that it was giving great results. So I decided to start my first company, a company which would try to improve the quality of education in the country with the use of technology. This company had an interesting run. It still exists to this day. As a matter of fact, the company is right now, the people that are running it, because obviously I'm no longer working at it. I'm just uh, uh, retain my ownership share. And then there's a, a, a team that is running the operations and it on a day-to-day basis. I just happen to sit at the board and that's it. But uh, they're right now a business accelerator called Mass Challenge in Boston. And they have a very interesting product, which is trying to eliminate textbooks, which are slightly primitive to my liking, uh, from classrooms from junior high schools and, and things of the like. So that was the first company. Uh, then I started another company, which is a digital agency, also still working to this day, but also not involved in it. But um, just same thing. Uh, ownership stake and they're now they're working on it with people that are more able than I am. And uh, now they're having interesting accounts and doing good process in all the stuff that has to do with social media, online advertising, things of that nature. There's a third one that I started that has to do with the, all of the renewable energies. That one's the, probably the youngest one. And also there's a team running it and it, it, seems, it seems it'll be doing okay. So essentially, I had this entrepreneurial background that came from a combination of technology and humanities. And that has been a good fit for me as a team member of this leadership pipeline effort in which we're trying to develop our top talent because both perspectives, the human side and the technology side, certainly provide a, a valuable point of view, I would say, when it, when it comes to figuring out what's the best way to develop our talent. So as I understand it, um, the leadership pipeline is a, a vehicle to connect the pool of Cisco's top 1% talent with innovation work, and that cross-functional teams solve for customer needs um, through, through innovation. So I guess first off, I want to know a little bit more about who those 1% are and how they are identified. Perfect. Before going there, just an, another refinement. The leadership pipeline program is actually very interesting because it has uh, – a range of topics that it covers that is broader than just innovation. But ultimately, all the things that we touch do enable innovation. So we have touched on the holistic development of our people. So we have topics from, you know, increasing your financial acumen and, and done some very interesting simulations that were built from scratch to represent how Cisco operates and thus represent and help people develop some managerial skills. We've gone from that to topics such as happiness, right? We brought one of the leading lecturers at Harvard uh, to talk about happiness, uh, inclusion and diversity. So there's a variety of different topics that a leader needs to know. Innovation is obviously one of them, and we are certainly using this leadership pipeline group, this top 1% talent. We're analyzing the ways in which we can use it as a vehicle to drive innovation. With that said, going back to the question, who is this top 1% and how are they identified? Essentially, it's the top 1% of people that are in what we could generically call individual contributors, managers, and director grades. 
that that might not necessarily translate exactly the same uh, into other different companies, but it gives you a sense that this is people that are working by themselves or have a team or have a team of managers that have their own teams. That's loosely what it maps to. They belong to all the functions in the company, whether it's services engineering, uh, sales, HR, IT, marketing, finance, you name it. So we've taken them from all functions and we've taken them from all regions. Uh, I'm not, I don't have the numbers with me right now, but we have participants probably from over 30 countries. The way in which they're identified is in a partnership with the business, the, the area where they work, and the HR partners. So essentially, HR partners are people that support the people in the business to do their job from the HR perspective. And then they had a series of nomination guidelines, and through those, they made those choices of who the participants should be based on what we were looking for. Now, the criteria and all that this is probably a little bit too detailed to get into, but essentially the effort was done by way of looking for those people that we knew not only are they very capable where they are right now, but where we had a point of view that they have still a lot of uh, possibilities to grow. Essentially, the question was, do you see this person performing at a great level if this person was promoted two levels up? That's, that's kind of the trigger question that we use for people to think about not only the performance, but also the potential of this talent. And that's how we, it was selected. So... In terms of them getting involved, is there some self-selecting going on? Um, I'd, I'd like to learn about that and how many participants there are currently. All right. Self-selection is not allowed. Uh, that it is essentially 100% nomination-based. In other words, the people that you work for in partnership with the, their HRPs will look at the different people and, and they know who these people are. They, they know the people that work for them and they have identified who's the top talent. And then they make the nomination based on the criteria that we sent and say, you know what, you have been invited to take part of this program. People have an opportunity to opt out, which happened in like less than 0.5% of the invitations we sent. And it was mostly owing to things other than the program itself, but uh, things like, for example, relocation and other events that were out of their control. So people are nominated then they just confirm they accept the being enrolled in the program, and that's when they jump in. Now, it's important to say that this is a long-term program. Unless other program, unlike other programs that are like you go for a one-week-long course and maybe you do some work, present something, and then you're done six weeks later, this is a two-year program. So Cisco is doing a very important investment in this talent. And one of the things that I love about this company is that this investment is not being done only for the work-related stuff. Like I mentioned you earlier, right? We, we, we're bringing a speaker here to talk about happiness. Uh, we're talking mm -hmm. about something called total leadership in which they're looking how to make changes in their personal life, their community life, their social life, and their work life at the same time. They're running experiments in that space. So this is a very different angle to innovation. It's not only how do we innovate the products, it's how do I run experiments to innovate the way I'm living my life and have a positive impa impact on all sides of it. So having a company that funds that type of stuff for the people, to me, talks great lines about the great heart that our company has. And, uh, and, and I'm not saying just because I work here. Like, I, I am really <laughs> surprised to this day. Some of the things that I see in Cisco are actually, uh, we, we keep them private. Uh, there's many things where, where only when you work here, you, you realize the type of support that we'll get for ourselves and for our families, uh, given what this company does for us. But at the same time, it's also very telling that we're working and making this two-year investment in the top talent to develop. So going to the part of um, how are they involved and how many participants are there, 
right now we have a little bit over 500 participants, given that, you know, companies 70,000 people strong, and we're looking at a segment of our population, the math of the top 1% loosely maps to this uh, 500 and so participants uh, from the different countries that they, that they come from uh, in terms of their participation. So you said it's a two-year program. When did you get started? How long, how far in are you? The program got, well, participants started their program in June 2014. So we're one year into it. Obviously, the planning that led to that June launch was at least another couple quarters before that. So we've been working in this program now for, I don't know, we're starting August, it's going to be a couple of years uh, in terms of those who are involved in preparing it. But the participants had, that had been a part of this, experiencing it, this is, this is their first year. We are going to graduate our first group of directors. Their program is shorter, 18 months. So that will be taking place approximately in the next event we'll have in October or someday that's yet to be determined. That's kind of the working estimate. And um, we'll graduate the rest in June 2016. So I would like to know more about your priorities. So for example, um, is it supporting customer needs or innovative ideas inside of Cisco or generating revenue or just for participants to learn? <laughs> well, all of those things are tied. I would not choose one or the other. Um, as you know, and this is publicly available information, uh, John Chambers, who has been our CEO for approximately 20 years and has had one of the longest and most successful runs as a CEO in Silicon Valley's history, is going to step down from the company and will surely be missing him uh, when he does that starting our next fiscal year, which starts the last week of July. And we're very excited to have Chuck Robbins, who has been appointed as our new CEO, uh, stepping in and, and taking us, maintaining the course where it's needed and changing it where he thinks we should. And we're actually very thrilled to have him. And everyone loves Chuck in the company. And he has not even started yet, and he's already uh, starting to create a lot of buzz around him coming. The reason why I'm bringing him up is because of the priorities. One of the first things he said is his priorities are culture, acceleration, operational rigor, and simplicity. So I, I really like that he found four simple, clear terms that are also umbrella terms because many things can be tucked in under those. So I can tell you a lot of the things that we're working on in terms of development for our participants as part of the leadership pipeline program, but I could also say that everything we're doing somehow falls under one of these four areas of cultural acceleration, mm -hmm. operational simplicity, um, and um, operational rigor, sorry, and simplicity. So it it doesn't sound like um, you know the leadership pipeline is some sort of power pre PowerPoint presentation or training with a guaranteed outcome. Um, how have you? And getting back to the the culture of experimentation, how have you formed the culture where this type of experimentation is accepted? You know, who did you need buy-in from, and uh, have you run into any challenges? <laughs> Uh, okay, that's actually a very interesting story. Uh, well, yes, let, let's just start with what you're saying. Yes, this is not a PowerPoint training, and that doesn't work. I mean, it's good to like mm -hmm. share some information, but that, that that's not how you make changes in people. And uh, we're hoping that we're all of the vehicles and all the opportunities that we're creating for pe for our participants allow them to improve in all the areas that are relevant. Now, with that said, uh, you mentioned the culture of experimentation. I think that has been a very prevalent thread 
upon which we built for many of the things we're doing. So I mentioned the examples we're doing in the space of, you know, how to improve the quality of your personal life, community life, social life, and work life, right? That's a good experiment. Uh, but to be very honest, one of the things that I also, that, that I love about Cisco is uh, many of these experiments, we didn't go and ask for permission. And that's part of having an entrepreneurial, innovative spirit, right? If, if you can only innovate with someone's blessing, then it's almost as if innovation needs to happen by decree. And, and that's not the best place to be in. It's better to have our, something like what our leaders say. Our leaders challenge us. We have very, very, very interesting internal meetings in which some of the things that, are, I guess, are, we're allowed to share publicly is they challenge us. They say, you have to be bold. You have to be innovative. You have to take risks. They're consistently encouraging us to do so. Now, what yeah, what's what's the saying? Don't ask for don't ask for uh, uh, permission. Ask for forgiveness. Uh, we, yes, sometimes we do that. <laughs> Obviously, mm-hmm. we we all take um, one thing that I really like about uh, uh, my, my boss, director Brian Koldike, who's a great guy. He he always says that when you make this type of decisions, just make sure that it's something defensible, right? Which to me is a very commonsensical way of saying yes. Go ahead and do it. Just keep the common sense while you're doing it, right? Which is great. It, 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 it opens up the possibility for everything. So I think he's a, he's a great example of somebody who embodies this freedom in which he allows us to explore. So we presented to him some very crazy ideas, and he just asks very pertinent questions for us to think about. But he doesn't come back and say, no, you can't do it. So we've really been pushing the envelope in many of the things we've been doing with this program, and it has been very well received. And we've been pushing the envelope on a variety of different things. For example, the nature of the experiments that I told you, that's an interesting one. We started something else called Beta Change. Uh, and this was an original idea from my colleague, Avis Biden. And I think it's a beautiful idea. It started out as a simple experiment in which we told people, what is one thing, simple thing, small thing, that you can change and which will create an important impact in the company? And we had an activity during one of our events in which people you know, recorded videos proposing this idea in Teams, and then we had an online voting platform, and then we chose an idea, and then we ran with it. Now, the level of engagement and, and how much people participate in experiments, that always varies, because this is a large group. You can't control everyone. But we're opening up the floor for people to say, yes, this thing needs to be changed in the company, and it's not going to change us because we received a memo from our CEO or from one of our senior executives. I need to take it upon myself to set the example of how to change this particular thing. So that was another experiment we did. Then we tried other larger experiments. So in short, what I'm trying to say is we were tasked with doing the best that a company can do with our top talent to take it from where they are to where we want them to be. We were given freedom, and we have been using that freedom to run smart risks and try to innovate wherever possible as we go about this program. But it was not a mandate or a decree in which we were said, okay, go ahead and do it. So you must have run into some challenges, though. Do you have any specific examples you could share with us? Oh, absolutely. Uh, for example, one challenge, oddly enough, is that, oh, let me put it this way. If you have 70,000 people company, it's impossible that everything works exactly the same for everyone. Like, as, as, as much as we love the company, we have some people who are great bosses and some who aren't. We consistently articulate the type of boss that we want and when we have clarity around that and, and our executives model it. But you you always have some bad apples, right? Or you always have maybe, maybe bad apples is a bad term. You always have people that are maybe not playing up to speed or, or, or not necessarily the way that we're expected to. So 
The challenge that we have is that some people have uh, decided not to participate in some of the experiments because they think it could put something in danger for them, right? Whether this is only perceived or whether it's actually true for this particular person in this very small pocket of or, or part of the company, that has been a challenge, right? The, the fact that the culture or, or the environment is not 100% homogeneous. Again, 70,000 people scattered over dozens of countries, you, you, you can't reach 100% of... of, of um, of a smooth ride when you're trying to do things. So in other words, some some bosses have not been entirely supportive of this thing, of, of some of our experiments or the things we're trying to run. So that's one challenge. Another challenge sometimes it's, um, I'd say it's the mindset of, of people. One of the challenges in corporations as well, uh, so, so for example, for a more robust corporation like ours that has been uh, around for some decades, is that once you've been in your position for a certain time doing things a certain way, even if innovation is encouraged and driven throughout, driven throughout different parts of the company, at some point it's not that easy to say, you know what, I'm going to change this that I'm already mm -hmm. used to. I'm going to start doing it a different way. So, so sometimes it could be that the mindset has been established. I'll give you an example, right? We're right now with Startup Cisco, we're saying, and we'll talk about Startup Cisco later, but this effort that has to do innovation, we're essentially telling participants, we're not asking anyone for permission. We're running with this. And once we show that it's worth it, we could get executive sponsorship. That is completely backwards from, from how most things run, in which people first look for a sponsor or get a mandate, and they go and run with it, right? So a challenge is this cultural notion that you do need that sponsor to begin with to do anything. Obviously, it doesn't mean we're doing something rogue or something out of place. It just means that you will not always get the executive to think about all the great ideas that need to happen in the company. Everyone needs to play at the different parts. And to me, that's one of the other challenges. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Startup Cisco. What is the Startup Cisco engagement you're working on to connect to le the leadership pipeline program and lean startup? That's actually a very interesting question. It, it's, I, th I think it's a program with a fascinating potential. It's in a very early stage, and we can talk about that a little bit more. But let me just give you like, like the, like the top-level idea of what this is, right? So here it goes. On one hand, you have a company that, that lives and dies by innovation. Like we, we read it, we live it, we want more of it, and we're consistently being very hard on ourselves and how we can do it better. So that's, that's part of who we are. Uh, and we need to do it better. We, there, there's always room for improvement, and, and we're certainly pursuing it. So you have that on, on one hand. On the other hand, we finally were able to locate our top talent from all functions and regions and they're part of a program. So we already have the people, we have funding associated with the program, we have the need for innovation, and then we have, if I may, in this spirit of experimentation, we have what I'd say is a hypothesis that we're trying to validate. The hypothesis is that if we align the top talent in the company to support ongoing innovation efforts, and the way in which they support these efforts is by way of adapting the basic tenets of the Lean Startup methodology in the corporate environment, we can help accelerate the pace of our innovation and increase the success rate of our innovation initiatives. That's the overarching mm -hmm. hypothesis of Startup Cisco. So the main, main piece is we want to innovate, we have the top talent in the company, and if we are able to do a good job at applying this Lean Startup principles to some of the innovation efforts that are already going in different parts of the company, we should be able to bring a lot of value. So our work will be to iterate our way 
as we try to validate this hypothesis by making it real. So what stage are you on and, and what are the next steps? Well, if, 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 uh, this is a little bit complicated, uh, but I, I'm, I'm going to try to stick to it. We've been trying to use uh, Lean Startup language and terms not only to think about how we're going to accelerate innovation efforts, whatever it's possible to contribute, but also we've been trying to apply it to the project of Startup Cisco itself. And during one of our sessions, I was joking that this is a little bit like the Inception movie, which you're having a dream about a dream and something gets a little bit confusing. So mm-hmm. we're applying Link Startup to the project and we're applying Link Startup to how we think about how we're going to be applying it to projects. Which means, going back to your question, what stage are we on? I'd say we're in the MVP stage. Uh, or first, sorry, our first MVP stage. MVP is not a stage itself. It's, it's like it's our very first MVP, uh, which means that we have started trying to answer, you know, a, a question, and we're trying to validate it. And the way in which we're trying to answer it is to an MVP to help measure whether we get there, etc., etc., et without getting too much into that phase. Now, uh, that, that's probably our, our, our explanation with lean startup terms. What does it mean in actual in actual terms? We have gathered a team of uh, five of our participants. And we are now recruiting another 10, so that we form a core team of no more than 15 people of leadership pipeline participants who are going to be doing what we are calling building the ship. In other words, generating the conditions for other of the participants to start taking on innovation projects. What are these conditions? Conditions such as what projects are we going to select? What's the criteria with which we're going to select them? Which are the different innovation efforts going on in the company with which we should partner? Because this is not about reinventing the wheel. So there's something being done in the space of engineering, something in the space of services. We want to partner with them and, and see, by the way, if our initial hypothesis is true. Can, can we add additional value to what they're already doing or not? It could be that our hypothesis is refuted and this was not a good idea all along. We'll just try to learn that very quickly. So, so essentially, we have the 15 people that are working on solving all of those questions so that approximately, we're thinking maybe August, September-ish, we can start launching our first group of leadership pipeline participants who will be supporting innovation efforts. How that, needs, how that looks, that still needs to be refined, but at very high level, what we're thinking is we're going to form cross-functional teams, like one guy from sales, another from services, another from engineering, and so on. And these cross-functional teams of top talent company will now have a thorough understanding of Lean Startup methodologies and other things that help accelerate innovation. And they will work as coaches or, or, or mentors to a certain extent to different innovation efforts. Now, it could be that one innovation effort is an innovation challenge taking place somewhere in the company, and then somebody submitted an idea, and this could be a person that is very gifted in the technical space, but not so strong in the market validation piece, right? So we will hope to support this person to go from the idea, instead of going and building the entire thing, actually iterating their way through validate and then see if it makes sense. So taking them from point A all the way into internal pitching to get funding for the project, we, we plan on providing them support with this group of top talent who will be supporting them in, in the capacity of, of coaches. So I know I iterated a little bit on it, but um, is, that, is that clear? Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I'm kind of curious. Um, where you sought out the lean expertise. So uh, over here at Lean Startup Company, we have an enterprise training program. And, uh, you know, this month we're sending a couple trainers to uh, Finland, to essentially the Verizon of Finland, and uh, maybe supporting a company who's essentially the, the Netflix of New Zealand. 
uh, where did you look to find these Lean Startup experts, or did they exist within the company already? Well, the first step that I took is I tried to locate Eric Ries. Uh, so given that I know how busy he is, I'm not going to say how I did it, but I was, was able to get a hold of him, <laughs> and, he, and he was, I don't know, I'm sure he would not appreciate getting more and more and more. He's, he's a little bit busy, yeah. Yes, uh, but uh, but he's a great guy, and he he wanted to get on the call, and we had a couple of conversations around how we could make this work. And uh, as part of the conversation, he said, why don't you come to the conference? So he invited me, and that's when I had the opportunity to meet you. So the very first step was, let's go to the Lean Startup Conference and see and, and just get a better sense of what's going on in this space. I was particularly interested in corporate innovators. During that conference, um, and this was completely uh, – random, completely random good thing that happened was I was talking to one of the mentors in one of the sessions and I said, here's what I'm trying to do at Cisco. He just looks at me and he said, you need to talk to this guy. And, and right there next to Steve him Ligori, was Steve right? Ligori. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yep, that's, that's where I met Steve, who used to be like the former head of global innovation for GE. Uh, I'm not sure what exact title is, but that was his responsibility. And, and this is like the GE, not like GE, one of the businesses. And um, I struck a conversation with him and turns out that it was a very good fit because not only did he have success at bringing Lean Startup and other innovation acceleration processes that were quite unlike anything GE had been doing before, he was able to introduce those successfully through a series of experiments in GE to the point that when I met him, there were dozens of GE innovation coaches that somehow had spawned from his initial efforts. And I talked to some of them and they said, yes, Steve is the man that, that, that made this happen along with the other executives. So he had just left GE at that point and started his consulting company to mm-hmm. help other corporate innovators make it happen. So it was actually a very good fit. It, it, it was slightly random that it happened, but I'm very glad that I did. So that was the, that was the first engagement or, or the first contact we had after having obviously had the contact with Eric and attending the conference, which was phenomenal. So what have been some of the main obstacles with startup Cisco that have come up? Hmm. Well, I would, I, as I'm thinking through this, I'm not sure if this one I would label exactly an obstacle, but certainly a challenge that we need to take into consideration. And, and the first one is uh, the lean startup, I guess, mindset or, or perspective of how to look at innovation and, and, and how to move things forward is not one that comes naturally at a corporation, at least not in my experience. In other words, uh, Whereas in Lean Startup, you say, okay, we well, have this big idea. I'm going to first start up with, I don't know, I'm going to create a landing page and just start some campaign and see people actually sign up for the product that I have and even build and see what happens. And then with 100 bucks, you validate the first part of your idea. In a corporation, sometimes it's a little bit more like, oh, I have an idea. I'm going to talk to my boss and see if I can talk to other people. And then you build a team. And then these people have dozens of meetings. And then they start discussing how the... PowerPoint deck that you're going to use to convince an executive looks well. And then at some point, you end up building things that their scope creeps in endlessly and you pour millions of dollars into it and then it takes you nowhere. So the, the fact that Lean Startup is so different to some of the ways in which things are more consistently done at a corporation presents itself as a challenge because it's not something that people are familiar with in general. So that some people 
haven't even heard the term or, or not really sure what it means. They just know that somehow loosely maps to innovation. And because it has the word startup in it, immediately the interpretation is like, well, it has nothing to do with corporations, so why are we even talking about it? So first challenge, I would say, is, is one of mindset and understanding. Um, the second one would be that given that this is, to a certain extent, a grassroots effort, I mean, it is part of an enterprise-wide program, but again, it's not something that's happening out of a mandate at this point. We're just responding to our leaders' challenge, different challenges in which they're asking us to innovate. But because we're in that stage, it's not like people can carve out time in their very busy days of work and just do whatever they want. So people that are helping us build this, people that are building this, are doing it on top of their daily job. We hope that as soon as we validate some initial hypothesis and show that we're getting some traction and there's actually validity to what we're trying to do, then it's easier to build a business case for managers, directors, and people up in the, in the hierarchy to say, you know what, we should officially carve out some time for you to start pursuing this. So, so that would be uh, probably the, the second challenge that comes to mind. So one of our community members who leads innovation and coaching at the eighth largest company in the world said that, you know, they come to the Lean Startup Conference because they find value in spending time with people who live and breathe the startup way, the, the startups, because half our audience is startups and the other half of our global community is, you know, uh, established companies and enterprise. So he said, you know, they want to engage with people that are hacking industries and folks with that type of mindset. He says that they still really need to get into that way of thinking and they want to hear about somebody who, you know, doesn't give a crap, you know, got VC money and what they did with it. So I'd like to learn about how your experience as a startup person before Cisco sort of helped you with what you're doing now inside Cisco. Hmm, that, that's a good question. So one thing that I would need to start with saying is that the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Mexico is certainly fairly different from the one in the United States. Uh, for example, it was not until maybe three to five years ago, let's just say, you would not hear a lot about, like, you know, you have a hacker garage here, a startup weekend there, a hackathon there, um, the BC funding available. Uh, heck, for some points, even the legal structure for people to invest in startups was not as suitable. So even though there's been a lot of engineering talent, just to give you an example, in the city of Guadalajara, Oracle is opening up an innovation center with like 800 engineers. So, so it's not like they're doing manufacturing. They're actually doing innovation for one of the largest corporations in the world. And uh, Guadalajara is also known to be like the closest thing to the Silicon Valley, but in Mexico. And there's a bunch of things that I could tell you about it. But essentially, what the scenario that I'm trying to paint here is situations were different. It, it, the, the way in which people think about entrepreneurship here is not necessarily I'm going to build something that gives me enough traction to get my angel to take me to my first round of funding and then I'll keep on going the ladder and then I'll exit. Mm -hmm. Even the even the idea of exiting, I, I, I would dare say is one that has not been very prevalent and it's just picking up. The the perspective of people who are entrepreneurial in Mexico is I'm going to build a company for me to keep and I'm going to leap off of it and I'm going to grow and I'm going to pass it on to my kids. So, so the idea of like exiting the company for some people is, is weird. So, so with this context, what I can say is that my experience as an entrepreneur was I needed to bootstrap. My first company, uh, uh, 
I could not start it in the garage because it was an open garage and they would have stolen my things. So I had to start it in my bedroom. <laughs> and and it started by me picking up some old computer pieces and uh, building a little Frankenstein of a Linux box and experimenting with it. And like many other entrepreneurs, I got my credit card and bought some hosting and started using the computer and the hosting together, started trying to get customers. I invested whatever I could, like my first thousand dollars in in everything that I could, like, okay, I need a logo, I need this and this and this, I'm going to start selling. And uh, six months of trying, I got my first client and then I started getting a little bit of traction. So obviously it was lower because there was no money injected in it. As a matter of fact, even when when I passed on the company for uh, a team of managers to execute and I moved on, got my MBA in the States and other things, um, even to this day, the company which is operating and is growing has not received any outside funding. So so it's still privately owned, bootstrap, no external investment. So so with that said, what I'm saying is my experience as an entrepreneur is unlike uh, the experience of, of some other entrepreneurs that, that are looking uh, and have more availability to get the funding. It, it's been one of slower growth and a lot of scarcity of resources that also makes you um, – I guess forces you to be resourceful in certain scenarios. I'm, I'm not saying that startups that get funding is any different because they're just building something that's entirely bigger and they they experience a scarcity of resources in, in, in different ways. But my experience has been one story of, of just trying to overcome uh, that scarcity and, and making the most we can with limited resources and then trying to build something bigger out of it. Now, the way that translates into Startup Cisco and, and the Leadership Pipeline Program is it, it, it gives a different perspective, right? If, if I was, let's say, somebody who had a long tenure working in a training organization and I received some funding, maybe my initial perspective or point of view on what to do with that funding would be something more like building a training program, a training program like the ones that I've been a part of or the ones that I've created before in the past. Whereas when I received the funding, my perspective was, okay, I have a mission, which is move the people from where they are to where they should be and we have money to make it happen, what are the best investments we can make with this money to take them from here to there? And, and just changing the word from, like, I'm going to be paying this vendor to provide this training versus where I'm going to invest it certainly changes the mindset and allows us to be a, a little bit more creative in, in terms of the uses we're making with the money. So to give you an example, we're, we have not used all the money for training. We built a tool called the Talent Marketplace, which is Think of like an internal LinkedIn, but for internal opportunities for our top talent. So mm-hmm. that's not something you would usually see in a training organization. We're, we're, we're building a tool and uh, we're doing experiments on different parts of the company. And now we're having an enterprise-wide innovation effort, which again, it's in very early stage. We're just done with our first MVP. We're getting good traction. It's going in the right direction. But essentially, coming from an entrepreneurial background gives you that perspective of, oh, I have mission. I have some funds which by the way, I'm not used to having. So what's the smartest thing we can do in terms of investments? And that has uh, generated some good traction. There's still a lot of things that we need to fix, refine, do better, and there's a lot of learning associated with it. And that is also similar to what happens to anyone in a startup, right? We're always learning. So do you have any words of advice from your personal experience as a corporate entrepreneur at Cisco? Well, the first thing I would say is um, this is the type of thing that only people who are very passionate about are going to try 
or should try, because it's going to be, I, I don't want to say more frustrating or less frustrating than running a startup uh, versus some, doing something entrepreneurial in a company. I would say that the nature of the challenges and the frustration is different, but it will still be there. And you're still risking something, whereas in a startup, you're risking uh, sometimes everything, right? You're putting your own money, you're getting in mm -hmm. debt. Here, you might be running uh, uh, running the risk of being you know, fired of your job. You do something that was completely out of place. So, 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 so in some cases, I guess in some scenarios, it's, you can see that it's a lot more complicated in a startup and a lot riskier. In some other cases, I could say it's more complicated to do something inside of a corporation because the nature of the challenges are ones that you have a lot less control over, right? Like, you know, there was an organizational change. You can't do anything about it, right? Suddenly so you're part of a different group. Priorities change and you have a different job and, and you don't have control over it. So it's a different type of challenge. So in, in terms of words of advice, I would say uh, you have, first thing, you have to be very passionate about this thing. The second one is the same one as when a startup. You have to be comfortable with ambiguity and uncertainty. Because what you're trying to do is difficult as it is, and you're trying to do it in an environment which not, not always necessarily makes it easier for you. Um, another thing is you, you need to know who to partner with. A corporation is a place in which we, by ourselves, will not create value. So, so at, at some points in the interview, I hope I've done a good job at, at, at establishing that all of this we're doing is part of a team. I, I, I thank you so much for inviting me, right? But uh, probably another way to do this could have been to bring everyone who's involved in this effort to talk about it, because because it's 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 dozens of people that are contributing in different ways, because it's the only way in which this we can, in which this can work. So, for example, if somebody's a little bit more technically inclined and they want to build a product, I, I've seen this with a few people that I've tried to coach. Um, within the process of innovation. Sometimes when you're more technically inclined, um, and I used to be like that uh, when I was earlier on in my career as a CTO, my favorite thing to do would be to lock myself up and start working on my product and, and experimenting with it and testing and doing all the techie stuff, right? Whenever I had to talk to other folks to you know, get support advice, try to sell it, that was not my favorite thing to do back then. <laughs> so another word of advice is you want to be a corporate entrepreneur, you, we really need to strengthen our social skills and also our ability to kind of plot the political landscape and understand who can help you with this, who do you need to partner with what, etc. We also need to be very humble. There's a lot of times that I thought that I had a great idea and it turns out that five other people had already tried it in the company and they could tell me very well why we shouldn't do it. Or it turns out that somebody had already done it, it was running and it was a lot better than I could have ever imagined. So it's, it's dealing with uncertainty and ambiguity knowing how to play in a team, and also trying to be humble because usually when we are in corporations, there's thousands of people that are smarter than us. And that's a good thing because we can learn from them. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to bring the best value we can. We should always do it with that, uh, with that grain of salt, knowing that we don't know everything. We probably don't know enough to make anything work. So let's partner with the people who do so that we all together can get there. Good advice. So, Oseas, uh, last question. What is your plan for the next, I don't know, six months to a year? What What is something you're really excited about? I'm really excited about the launch of the talent marketplace work we've been doing. I hope that it will enable uh, those who want to get a new opportunity in terms of supporting some project in some way or some other thing, getting a mentor, whatever. 
and partnering those with those who want to have that project or those who want to mentor, for example. I'm very excited to see what type of opportunities we create there. I'm also very excited about an event in which we're going to bring all of the leadership pipeline participants together, date and locations yet to be determined, but we're already working on the design, and it looks like a phenomenal idea to put this talented group of people uh, together to the service of tackling some of the most important company challenges. And I'm also very, very excited about Startup Cisco, which is uh, this smaller group of folks which will be meeting for a workshop uh, in a month or so to discuss what's the best way to make this happen in the company. And I really hope that a year from now, if maybe we have another contact like what we're having today, what I can be sharing with you is that we have successfully launched some projects and supported here and there, and now we're connecting different innovation efforts in the company, and we have X amount of specialized innovation coaches that are helping things move forward, and that, it will, that this is going in the right direction. So to me, that, that's probably one of my greatest hopes. Not only that the entire leadership pipeline program as a whole has been successful, because we'll be done in a year, but also that this smaller component of the pipeline program, which is Startup Cisco, has yielded its fruits and is going where it should be. Well, I'm really excited to follow your work, and uh, we should plan another uh, podcast for maybe six months from now to catch up with you on these things. Uh, all right, everybody, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, thank you so much to our guest, Oseas Ramirez from Cisco. I'm Heather McGough from Lean Startup Company. Our team looks forward to having you join us for upcoming podcasts and webcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Lean Startup or register for our flagship Lean Startup conference and follow our blog. Just visit www.leanstartup.co for more information. Thanks a lot, Oseas.